Hello and welcome to Unsafe Space. My name is Carrie Smith. I'm here today with my co-host Beverly, who some of you may recognize from chat. Um, and I'm very excited because we're going to be doing a special conversation with a comedian. Um, Daniel Lobel is a comedian, comic book creator, and the host of the Modern Day Philosophers podcast, which features comedians like Bill Burr, Brian Regan, and Maria Bamford. He also hosts the Tipping the Scales podcast about body image and health. You can visit him online at dannylobel.com, and we will put that link along with social media links in the comments. But welcome, Danny. Welcome, Beverly. Hello. I, I have to correct myself because okay. I sent you the bio, but um, we actually changed the name of that podcast from Tipping the Scales um, and expanded it. It's now called the Doctorpedia podcast. So it is about health, but I host the Doctorpedia podcast, and it's more about all health. So uh, cool. I, I, I sent you in out, outdated information, but it's up there. You can check out the Doctorpedia podcast. The Doctorpedia way. And then uh, can you tell me a little bit about the modern day philosophers podcast with comedians? Just tell our audience a little bit about that one. Is that is that you doing like long form interviews, sort of like Joe Rogan? Uh, yeah, I do like um, an hour and a half usually in the first, uh, what is it, 45 minutes? I failed math, I think is um, an interview. And then I think I've been doing it for like five years. It's an interview. And then the second half, there's a great comedian in New York named Alex Fasella, and he matches up every comedian with a philosopher uh, who he feels has something in common with or something totally against, you know, so, so you know, like uh, always something to make a stimulating connection between them. You know, they're either like very opposed to that philosophy or they're very of that philosophy. And so we like learn a little bit about the philosopher and go over a few quotes and, and then, you know, bounce them off the guest and see, see who, how the guest st stacks up as a philosopher themselves. So what's a good example <laughs> of one that you've done? Well, um, <clears throat> I, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> 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 because I never really retain the information, but uh, right. I mean, it's all up there somewhere, but I'm not, I'm not like, um, I like philosophy in that I like conversation. And I think philosophy is a great, um, you take people smarter than me who have come up with deeper thoughts. Mm -hmm. Although I kind of feel like we all have the same deep thoughts. They just articulate them in fancier words. Uh, but, uh, you know, people who are able to articulate really good thoughts. And I just steal that to make my <laughs> conversations better. But if you actually ask me, like, uh, about philosophers, I'm not, Alex could tell you, he, he's like the philosophy nerd, if you will, and I think he'd wear that proudly uh, of the two of us. But for me, I'm, um, you know, I'm just a working class moron who likes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who likes deep conversations, but, you know. So one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today is because we've been doing, so I used to work in comedy, that's how I know your wife um, from way back. And I got out of comedy, uh, you may or may not know, but in the past few years, I've had this transformation, I guess, in ideology and in, in mm -hmm. belief systems. And I, I felt like so much of comedy these days has become, uh, instead of being a place where you push ideas and challenge ideas and, and dance 
around the line of what's taboo. It's become a place that's almost more about um, upholding a secular religion of, of what I call wokeism or, you know, social justice. And there seems to be a lot of fear in the comedy community. And maybe I'm just reading that into it, but it seems to be that people are a little afraid of what they're now allowed to say on stage and what they're not. As someone who's still doing comedy, is that something that you have noticed in the culture or where do you think I, things stand now? Frankly, I'm shocked to hear what you said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Um, it's essentially dead. You know, it's essentially dead. They've replaced comedy with activism. Yeah. And uh, it's very sad. It's very homogenized. It's very groupthink. Um, and it's, um, in my opinion, it's very Chinese. You know, I feel like if you were doing comedy in China under a communist regime, you would have to adhere <laughs> to what the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the leaders say is acceptable and not acceptable to talk about. And I imagine, you know, I've done comedy like I did uh, comedy in Mexico and they told me, like, you're not allowed to talk about, uh, you know, anything disparaging about the city in Mexico. And the, the play, this is run by cartel, but you can't talk about cartel. And you can't talk about... <clears throat> and I was just like, so so I'm just, I'm just like... Uh, you, know, you remember La La Land when they made them just, like, play the Christmas tunes? Like, that's oh, what yeah. they've got to comedians, <laughs> essentially. They're just like you know, don't go off script. You play those Christmas songs, something that's nice for everyone to listen to and they could tune it out because it doesn't shake them at all. Yeah. That's what they've done to comedy. And, uh, you know, God forbid you say this to any of these people who call themselves comedians, you know, and I stress call themselves comedians <laughs> because there's a lot of people, you know, Jackie Mason used to, uh, I used to work for him and, and uh, <laughs> what did he say about... um. He's, uh, he's a, 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 I said, oh, I got a card once from a promoter. He said, the guy said he's a promoter. And he goes, a promoter? The guy says he's a promoter? He goes, the only thing that takes to become a promoter is you go to a, a printing place and you say, give me a card that says promoter. You know, so it's like, <laughs> he goes, because that means nothing. You know, so I was like, oh, you're right. You know, he goes, how do you become a promoter? You just say you're a promoter. But it's the same thing of uh, being a comedian. Like, how do you, how do you, well, you used to become a comedian by proving it, you know? Right. Uh, and the way you'd prove it was simple. You'd make people laugh. You'd make them laugh hard. <laughs> Being funny. You'd make a lot of people laugh. Like, you'd go up there, and if the most people laughed, you were good at your job. But they changed it. You're and by, by they, I mean uh, political establishment. Because uh, I think, you know... It used to be more that the culture dictated the politics, and now it's that the the politics dictate the culture, mm -hmm. which is a bad place to be because if you look at Washington, you know, just turn on like C-SPAN, these are the most boring people in the world. Like whichever <laughs> side of the aisle you're on, most of them, I mean, there's exceptions, most of them are boring. Politicians are boring. When they're dictating what comedy should be, you have the least funny, uh, most self-righteous, sanctimonious people controlling something that's supposed to be the absolute opposite of it, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. You're making me think of a comedian, uh, Jimmy Dore. Are you, you, do you watch Jimmy at all? I, I don't watch him, but I know who he is. I mean, I, I've been on shows with him. He's uh, just something he said recently when you're talking about people who are comedian and name only or who just decide that they're comedian. He was saying he was making the same point about fact checkers. You know, how do you get to be a fact checker? Well, you just put it in your bio. Right. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fact checker. But fact check that. You know, I, um, I, I put up the, this thing uh, the other day. On, uh, I've, been, I've been driving everyone nuts on my Facebook page for fun. And I just put this thing up that they said, you know, Snopes, it just came out that Snopes is politically motivated. I said, well, I, I, I heard that and I, and I went and I immediately Snopesed it. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and they said, it's not true. Where do I go from here? You know? So, yeah. so, um, you know, then people go, Snopes is people, everybody thinks this is the amazing thing. Everybody thinks that they're so important now. And that's the other thing. Like, People used to have an idea of like, those are public figures. They uh, have some type of training, although it was never true. I mean, it was all an illusion that we had some kind of special power to have opinions that nobody else had. But, you know, once they exposed that as a fraud and people realized, oh, those people's opinions are no better than my opinion, which is probably good because it was a lie to begin with. Then everybody thought my opinion is amazing. That part's a lie. So, so, so yes, nobody's opinion is more important than anyone else's opinion. Some people, though, um, some people have worked hard at being able to um, get their opinions across in palatable ways. And some people are socially inept in life and even more so on a computer. You know? <laughs> so, um, so that's the thing that's missing. It's not that any, anybody's opinion is really better than anybody else. It's just that some people have training in how to convey it. Uh, but they open up the floodgates to everyone who has no uh, idea on how to um, articulate an idea or make it palatable to the masses. And, and then you have just insanity and mayhem, which is what's going on on my Facebook page for my own personal entertainment every day. <laughs> you know? Where do you see things going from here? Because I kind of, I think, and I'm looking at it from a distance. I don't work in comedy anymore, but I, I remember when I was a social, what I call a social justice warrior. And a lot of the comedians I chose to work with shared my ideology, but it wasn't mainstream yet. And, but I could, I could see it going there, which made me very happy because I was a true believer in this belief system. And I thought, I was helping to make the world a better place by working sure. with comedians who preached the same ideology I had in their work. And, and it definitely, and it did go there and it became something that I suddenly I saw comics getting TV shows and doing social justice comedy who, who had never done social justice comedy before, but they were now, it seemed like that something was the thing on. to do. Right. Yeah. So my guess, I have an idea about where it's going next, but I wanted to get your take on that first. Well, I think it's um, it's going to start, you know, a, ba a backlash, you know, I think, you know, basically, most comedians are very unoriginal. Um, and they are also very needy for love. That's, that's just true. Uh, that's why people get into it. I'd probably fall in that category myself to some extent, although 
you know, having a wife and having a kid filled a lot of that need for love for me, which was freeing. Um, but if you don't have those things, then that hole, that gap that you are trying to fill with love is very strong and almost magnetic, which is how you're almost able to like magnetize that love out of a crowd of strangers, like sucking the love, give me the love, you know? So, <clears throat> and then it's not real love, it's drugs. So it wears off real fast. And then you're like looking for another fix of basically what people want is love and acceptance that they never felt they got. So that said, um, most people see something like what you were saying with social justice and they're like, ooh, love, there's the love. How do I get the love? I'd say those things, I get the love, I get the love. And because that's the mentality um, and there's that neediness, uh, people will flock to it. They're not very strong or grounded in their beliefs to begin with. Their real basic belief is that I need love. And uh, if I type, BLM, 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 it doesn't matter what I really feel about it, if I love it, if I'm indifferent to it, whatever it is, it's gonna get me a lot of likes and likes feel like love, it's that little hit, that little high. Yeah. But then you have a small group within the flock who, and I hope I'm in that category, um, are not as needy for the love. And, and the desire shifts from love to what, I think it's supposed to be, which is self-expression and individuality. And that's what leads that flock, you know? So uh, this could sound very braggadocious if I'm not careful how I word it, <laughs> but it's not that I'm necessarily right or that I'll lead the flock with what I think. It's just that one of us who is not in the group think is going to go in a direction and that direction will be the one that catches fire, right? Mm -hmm. And it's got to be a rejection of what's going on because there's also this feeling of like, I need to stand out. And that I'm still a part of, I suppose, right? I still feel like I need to stand out. I can't be part of the, that's where I really feel like you find the divide between comedian and actor. Mm -hmm. Because there's this, this little sense of like, um, I want to play with fire in a comedian. And then there's like these people who are really an actor who have mem memorized a monologue and they find that it's fun to perform it every night. Um, and it's a funny monologue and they get some laughs. Are they necessarily funny people? No, they're not funny people, but they could be, you know, they're funny in the same way that somebody can get laughs in a Neil Simon play, you know, and people will say, oh, you're really funny after the play. You just know how to deliver the lines and you uh, have some idea of what the lines should be. Maybe they were even written for you. In many okay. cases they are. But um, you don't have that feeling of like, I also kind of want to throw a match into this thing. <laughs> so um, one of us match throwers will throw a match and, and one of those matches will catch fire and then everyone will shift over to that fire. and They'll be like, oh, that's the thing now. So my personal feeling is, is that I'm sick of the censorship. I'm sick mm -hmm. of the group think. I'm going to go against it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to challenge everybody on their ideas. And, and for me, that's fun. That's my little match that I throw into the crowd. And um, so I'm hoping that that's where it goes next, but I, I, I'm sure there'll be like 10 other approaches and one of those could take, you know, take it. But what do you guys think? I think it's going to, I think it's still getting worse in ways that before it gets better, like I'm in Chicago right now. And so I have the improv 
sketch background and I saw that you went to Second City as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but IO just closed down permanently and and but that wasn't before mostly because of of the pandemic, but also right before that BLM was trying to to get it going and people were upset toward it, which I was just like, I don't understand why are you so mad at IO? They already had the diversity program. We already had opportunity for people of color to get classes for free like there are and the instru- there are certain instructors and auditors and people like who who were black I, i've auditioned for them so for people to just complain so much that like that they weren't doing it io already wasn't making a ton of money <laughs> like that's why they closed down so so easily from it too and i don't know it's it's just sad that uh that it's come to that too like there's just this big comedy theater in in the world and and now it's gone forever like partly just because of all the politics that are going on they tried to appease the unappeasable they should have gone the other way they should have gone completely politically incorrect their name already yeah. sounds like an italian slur Ayo! <laughs> <laughs> and they had to change it like, it was improv olympics yeah. first and then stephen colbert's brother sued them so because he worked for the actual olympics and so they had to wow. change it to just io theater what a family. I worked for Steven and he oh, really? was pleasant <laughs> in my feeling. Wow. Uh, I mean, he was just like, again, and I'll tell you what, he wasn't unpleasant, but he wasn't friendly. He wasn't kind. I mm. <clears throat> I don't know. I so, just felt, I felt he was cold. So you think it's going to get, you think it's going to get a little worse, Beverly, because of where you're at in Chicago, but do you, are, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel for comedy? Um, Ryan Long is my light at the end of the tunnel right now. Watching his videos, they're so perfect. And I think that's just what's needed currently. And I think a lot of people are, are, have a hunger for it and, and that's helpful. But I worked at Second City for three years and, and Daniel's right. Like, it's just the same thing. It, most of it was just kind of this meh Trump and it was, they, it's such low-hanging fruit for a place that says that they're supposed to use the the uh, higher higher thinking comedy and um, but but it was just like really boring and I think I mentioned this maybe on the last time I was on the show uh, that they we had people in the audience walk out. There was one of the shows that was just so preachy about race. It was just like how everyone, like all white people are so racist. And we had so many people walking out that they were just like, I don't want to be told that I'm racist. <laughs> like I wanted to come here, just get away and laugh at stuff. And now I'm just being called a racist. So yeah, we had a lot of, and, and then, but they're in such a uh, delusion too. Cause they're just like, well, they're just racist. That's why they're leaving. They don't want to be they're, like, they're white supremacists. So like, of course they're going to leave. And like, Who no, that people didn't want to get a babysitter to go out for a night of abuse. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> That's not what they wanted. Well, I tend to think, I mean, I'm, I'm removed from it. So just watching it now from afar, I, I definitely think I think you're both right. There's something coming. People like Ryan Long who are starting to get attention online um there's the this kid cole i'm blanking his name but it the video that went viral yesterday of this this guy who uh showed up for a university that was discussing changing their racist mascot and he just completely trolled them and suggested a woke mascot instead and and it was hilarious and that's he did it just for the love of comedy he's not getting paid to do that that's not a real routine uh, but it was it was watching comedy in real time with all the 
university officials trapped there on Zoom with him. And uh, I think people are going to start seeking that out. And like you're saying, Daniel, it's going to be somebody's going to throw, throw a match or there are going to be several matches that are thrown. And I, slowly the industry is going to shift towards, okay, now we're going to go after the, the non-woke. And then you'll see actors, actors, as you call them, performing non-woke comedy as well. That's right. I mean. It's just, they just go with what is, you know, working and then they all jump on board here. This is, um, this is what I woke up to this morning. Um, and I love, like I said, I love, I've been using the, um, Facebook audience. I've been trying to walk them, you know, cause that's, that's the <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, like I, I told my wife, I want to do like, you know, people say how to grow your social media following. I'm going to do one on like how to shrink it really. <laughs> yeah. How um, to walk people on the Facebook. <laughs> but I, I wrote like a, a silly joke yesterday. This isn't even one of the ones that uh, should offend anybody really, but it's 2020. But I wrote it kind of like a Rodney Dangerfield-esque type of joke. Like I tell you, you know, I, I wrote, I tell you, it's been hot lately. How hot is it? I've been sweating more than Michael Richards at a BLM rally, right? So then here's a guy who calls himself a comedian, and he replied, hotter than a Charlottesville tiki torch at a synagogue. Still sound funny? Oh, my gosh. So I, I wrote, that's what I woke up. That's the first thing that popped up this morning when I went on there. And I wrote, sure, but not nearly as well written. The word tiki torch is inherently funny, though. <laughs> What a humorless scold. Wow. He wrote, why is he, he, wrote, why is he, he wrote back, you? people who think they're moral and insightful are neither. So it's like, are you a comedian at that point? Like, yeah. what, are, what are you? Yeah. Because you're so anti-comedy. That guy is a comedian who replied to you. Supposedly. Yeah. Wow. Supposedly, right? That's a guy who printed comedian on a business card. But, um, yes. Name only. <laughs> wow. Right? So... You know, he thinks that being a comedian is being an activist because he doesn't know what being a comedian is. He has no idea about he's not a funny person, but he wants the love. So his idea is just like, I know how to get the love. I will I will be the, you know, the warrior, the, like you said, the warrior, which is funny because it's like the weakest form of warrior. Right. Like when you think of warrior, like it's supposed to be like a Scotsman out in a field in a kilt with the, you know, hurling something like, all right, come at me. You know, it's a warrior, you know, it's not supposed to be like, do you think Tinky Torch Synagogue is funny, too? <laughs> um, so you guys, I want to ask you something else about what environment you're in right now. Are, are you still living in L.A., the L.A. area? Uh, yeah, the LA area is in LA. Okay. <laughs> I want to be kind of vague. Where are you in LA? So in LA, I just imagine, because I lived there for 15 years before I moved to Texas, and I'm just, I'm wondering what the environment is like there. Is it, is it, I assume it's a little more woke than where I'm at now. And are you still performing there? What are the, what's the situation like for comedy with coronavirus? Well, there's really no um or very little performance comedy going on um i did some zoom stuff which was you know I, it's better than is it better than nothing it's something it's uh it's a way to make money anyway but it's not um it's not anything like what you feed off of as a performer um not, not talking about this but i mean like i did a show with like i think four or five hundred people on mute 
And this is like, you know, you do a joke and, and you just see all these little squares of yeah. people. Yeah. You know, I imagine that's got to be, <laughs> my boyfriend does, has done, he does music and he's done some Zoom live streaming shows. And when everyone's on mute listening, there's no applause. It, it, it is disconcerting. It takes some getting used to, he was saying. Oh, some of this. <laughs> and I imagine that's even more just like strange as a comedian because mm. it's I've heard a I heard I can I can't I can't credit this person because I can't remember who said it but uh I did hear a comedian once talk about how comedy is like a tennis match and you really rely on the audience to serve the ball back to you yeah mm -hmm. absolutely right and so yeah, if you're just, doing just, it with nothing, just hitting balls and like, because yeah. that, the laughter like I don't know, it drives you when you're on stage and then you're getting laughs. You're like, okay, yeah, like I'm now going to keep playing into this. I'm just going like, to keep it up and, and do it, do it more. And then, and if they're not laughing, then, you know, like, okay, this is bad. Let me move on to something else. Um, but without that, you're just like, am I doing okay? I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, it's, um, I hope what it does is that it pushes a lot of people away from comedy who shouldn't really be there in the first place. Um, you know, as they stop getting the high off the laughter, you know, maybe they'll get sober and they'll clean their life up. But, um, yeah. um, I, I've been looking just, you know, I've turned my Facebook page into a, into a bit of a stage, you know, um, but it's private. I like to keep a, I like to keep a select group of people, um, stressed out and then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh but you know, it's a good, it's a good training ground. And, and I've been writing comic books. I have a new comic book coming out for Thanksgiving, cool. uh, which you can get at fairenoughcomic.com. So it's, you know, different places to try and use, you know, use the skills in different ways. What's the comic um, about? If you're okay, explain. Uh, well, that's, yeah. I mean, these are, this will be my third. Um, they're all autobiographical. They're little like vignettes from life, mm -hmm. you know, um, this one's, about Thanksgivings over the years. Um, I've uh, I've only missed three Macy's Thanksgiving Day parades. I've been at every one of them since I was born in wow. New York. Um, so I wrote all about the, the different years and the things, the funny things, the weird things that have happened to me at, at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade and the time that my wife and I broke into the parade and, and, and got away with it for about uh, <laughs> 20 blocks or so. And... Um, and then we got escorted out by the police. We got basically ratted out by one of Santa's toy soldiers who figured out we weren't supposed to be in the entourage and spotted a Jew and he removed me. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, so that's what that one's about. And then uh, I have another, and they're all different artists. I write them and I work very closely with the artists and it's been really fun, you know, panel by panel, we go through everything and I send them reference pictures and we try to recreate the moment as it's like making a little movie, you know, it's basically yeah. you're storyboarding a movie. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's been really fun. Uh, I'm working on one now with an artist in London. We've been, we're almost done with it, but it's, um, I don't know if you ever read Tintin growing up or Tantan yeah. or however you want to call it. So I, I also grew up on those Tintin comics. Um, my mom is from Scotland. And when I'd go out to Europe, Tintin is like, you know, he's, 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 he's big. He's big out there still. <laughs> and uh, so I grew up on those. I always wanted to make a Tintin style comic. So I have this uh, artist in London that we're, we're turning a story 
of the time I met Jonathan Winters into uh, in this, you know, he's doing it, drawing it like Hirsch who drew the tin, you know, he made Tintin. Right. So we're making it like a Tintin. It looks like a Tintin. I, I and everybody become transformed into these like Tintin looking characters. And, and it's the, the unlikely story of how I met Jonathan Winters and, and how it all went down. So they're all like standalone stories. The one coming out for Thanksgiving is about the Thanksgiving Macy's Day parades over the years. That's awesome. Can you tell me, um, I want to go back just a second about you living in Los Angeles, uh, because one of the things, interesting things I know about you is that you and, and your wife have chickens. Yes. And so I, it just doesn't compute for me <laughs> being in Los Angeles and, and it almost sounds like you're homesteading. Like I know some people <laughs> who moved to get away from everything out to Montana and they're raising chickens and goats <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, Tell me a little about that, and if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind talking about it, when when you said when you got married and became a father, and finding that the love that a lot of comedians are seeking through that, can you talk yeah. a little about that transformation or what you learned in that life lesson? Yeah, I, I suppose that you tied it all together pretty well with the question because I guess the chickens were a little stepping stone to that. You know, you kind of like experiment with what you can handle. Uh, so, you know, love is interesting because people look for love, but they don't really know what they're looking for. They're looking for excitement and romance, really. They're not looking for love. Love is more sustainable. You know, excitement and romance are like a buzz. You know, romance, you should always have it. And excitement, you should always have it. But every now and then, right? You, if you have it all the time, you don't have it. But love, you can have all the time and you have it. So what love really is, I think, is a mutual investment, right? Like you're invested in some, somebody or something um, and they're invested in you. And kind of chickens are good in that way because they give back. You get eggs, you know? And if you take care of them, you get invested in them. Like um, the more you, you give to something else, the more attached you feel because the more invested you are in it. Uh, and, and that goes for someone else even more so. So, you know, I also think like when people think they're falling out of love, like my, my feeling, if they're a friend of mine, I'll always say like, do something for the person. Like stop, stop worrying about what they're doing for you and start doing stuff for them and see if the feeling is coming back because what you really want to do is... Um, reinvest in the thing it's like if you you know i paint and um when i walk away from a painting uh over a little while i start feeling less interested in that painting but if i if i see something that's like uh, i don't know i probably should have worked on the nose a little more or something and i go through the grueling process of taking out all the oil paints and the turpentine and everything and i go in and i play with it a little more I start loving the painting more again I've started attaching to it again because I'm working on it I'm doing something so chickens came before Kylie my wife and before obviously well not obviously but my before my baby um, so chickens were were the kind of like the first thing that got me out of selfish mode um, where I started caring for some something other than myself and chickens give you back those eggs. So there's this mutual exchange, you know, a dog gives you back love and chickens give you back eggs. And, and then, you know, you move on to bigger things. Maybe you start with the cactus, but I don't think they give much back. But, 
um, yeah. So I've, I started doing that in Brooklyn. I started raising chickens and then, um, I just kind of got into it. They're like, they're like a fish tank where you don't have to change the water. They look different and they move around and they're, they're kind of fun to observe and there's something therapeutic about them. Um, I think so. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I think that sort yeah. of brings it right. Yeah, I think it does. Do you have, I, I don't know anything about chickens, but I'm in a, I'm in a beginning stage of what you're talking about of learning to invest in something and take care of it. And in terms of, I've been growing plants in my backyard. I'm not very good at this. <laughs> I'm trying to get better. And so, but I've been curious about the people I know in my life who have started taking care of chickens or goats. And do you need a lot of land for chickens? No, I mean, I started in Brooklyn where I had a very little land and I don't have too much in LA either. Um, no, just enough for a coop. A coop is not too big. So, and they're very easy to take care of. And if you don't, you know, starve them to death or something, hopefully you don't, you know, they live for like seven years or so. So they're not like, you know, they're, they're real. They're a real small commitment. You know, <laughs> they're a real small commitment because like a dog is like that double that, you know, mm -hmm. so chickens are like, you know, you have them for long enough that you really care about them and, and you, you know, you, you can watch them grow up and, you know, you, you literally eat something that comes out of them. I mean, there's this real attachment you have, you know, on a molecular level to the chickens because like they're sustaining you as you're sustaining them. There's, there's, there's a real exchange there. Like you don't get that even with a dog, but like, yeah. I mean, hopefully, but yeah. um, <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know what you're into, but you know, usually you don't eat anything that comes out of a dog, <laughs> but you do eat something that comes out of a chicken. And so you're almost like, there's this attachment, I think that, that, mm -hmm. that forms there. How's Texas, so, by the way? Is the weather there too humid? Humid enough? I don't know. I don't, well, I'm, I don't want a leading question. How's Texas? Oh, it's been <laughs> raining. It's been actually raining. I was on a road trip for about a month and got back, and it's been really nice because my plants are all still alive with the exception of one, and I had someone looking in on them, so that's been good. But, yeah, I've definitely been thinking about trying to I've, – I've been doing okay with the plants, and I do great with my dog, so thinking about <laughs> kind That's of expanding good. yeah so um your doctorpedia podcast which started as tipping the scales can you tell me how that started and what you guys focus on now because you said it's gotten broader broader focus. well yeah the idea was to do a tipping the scales podcast because i've always struggled with my weight and um you know it, people don't understand uh overweight people unless they themselves are or have been overweight. And often those people don't understand either. They, they just turn it on themselves. Um, I think of it as, as um, addiction to overconsumption. Um, and it's not just about food. It's, it's about overconsumption in general. People who are overweight tend to overspend, um, tend to, to feel um, dissatisfied, I think. Uh, in the same way that addicts um, have that perpetual dissatisfaction that they're trying to fill, you know, um, that void for, for overweight people is, is just filled with food instead of cocaine or um, alcohol or whatever. 
and a lot of people, you know, you hear they start smoking, they start losing weight. It's just a, it's just cross addiction. So anyway, I kind of wanted to go into this um, thing on a deeper level and sort of uh, educate myself and the world a little bit more about this in a way that I didn't see was happening. I started doing this tipping the scale. And before we even released one, um, I wound up meeting with uh, this guy, Jeremy, who's a great guy who works at this company, Doctorpedia, and I was telling him what I'm working on with tipping the scales. And he listened to modern day philosophers a bit. And he said, you know, you're really good at interviewing people. And now that you're interested in health, maybe you'd like to shift this over to Doctorpedia and you could talk about uh, weight issues, but you could, you could maybe help a, a a lot more people by talking to people uh, in every form of uh, the health, um, you know, spectrum in every part of the spectrum of health. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been pretty cool because Doctorpedia is like, they're trying to be the Wikipedia of doctors, sort of like where, you, you know, they're competing with like WebMD, but instead of like you go on WebMD and you say, uh, I've been sneezing and it says you're dying of cancer or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you actually have access to real doctors and you can chat with them right away and um, you can read articles, but you can also access like people right away. You, you could join like a membership and you can jump on with a doctor on a Skype or a Zoom and, and then they get all these top doctors to make videos like, you know, like basically like uh, the George Carlin's of the medical world, you know, so um you know, the, the real heavy hitters, they'll, they'll get them to, to make videos for them. So they're in touch with like the world's leading, like I talked to this guy, uh, Kai Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Kai Nietzsche, I'll get it right. Uh, who's like one of the number one or the number one doctor at performing surgeries with ro robotics. So like he's, um, you know, he, he uses, he's like a pioneer on the forefront of using robotic arms to go in and perform very, intricate surgeries on people that, you know, someone like this might, you know, you want the shaky hand or something, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's, it's, it's precision. And it was like really fascinating to talk to him. First of all, he's kind of like, um, Dr. Strange in a way, like he's racing fast cars and stuff in his, in his, uh, <laughs> in his spare time. And these doctors, live, I like hearing about like one of them's like a, a tango, his passion. And like when he's not like, he's a top surgeon, uh, but when he's not doing that, he's going around the world pre-coronavirus to tango in the top tango places. These doctors are, are interesting characters. So I get like a little bit of that. And then I also like hear about what they're doing and it's, I try to bring some humor into it and, and, and keep it from getting too dry and medical. Um, but like one thing I thought was really fascinating about like the robotics is that they will, um, they pre-program the surgery before they do the surgery. So like, you know, that way they could see, they do the surgery. What do you mean? They they program it. So they'll, they'll do like a virtual surgery on the person, you know, they'll scan the person and they'll do it. They'll perform the whole surgery uh, and then see like what issues uh, arise. Like, and then like, Oh, it's like, you know, you might get internal bleeding if a surgeon does something wrong. Right. They'll know that because they'll like virtually do the surgery before they actually do the surgery. Then they make all the different calculations. Let's, what if we move this over point this of an inch and that, let's try it again until they kind of get the surgery perfect. 
And then, you know, nothing is perfect. You can never count for every error, but then they'll, they'll like put the person in finally and then hit play, you know, and the surgery happens and it, and it's just far less uh, opportunity for it to go wrong. It's so perfect and precise, you know? So like this stuff is like really totally out of my world of, you know, hanging out at comedy clubs and stuff. And I kind of yeah. love that, you know, which is what I liked about the philosophy too. It's not like I'm into philosophy per se. It's just something so foreign to me that I kind of like to, um, to put it through my lens, you know? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Well, something you said about the, well, specifically about the topic of weight and addiction. Um, did you say, did I hear you write that people who overeat tend to overspend? Yeah. Is that a stat? Yeah. That's not surprising to me. I haven't read those stats, but that's not surprising because I definitely, I quit drinking. It's been almost a year now and uh, it's fun. Thank you. And, but, and one of the things that I've found, I did go to, I went to some uh, AA meetings for a while and I found that it was almost like, the, I, I thought this is something everybody should do. It doesn't matter if you have a problem with alcohol or not, or because everybody's got something that is probably a habit that they're, that is consuming them and, and, or something that they turn to as a crutch that then it starts controlling them, whether that's eating or spending, as you said. And one of the things I noticed when I quit drinking was that I, I like thrift shopping. I was telling Beverly right before the show about some of my purchases and I noticed it went up a little. I started mm -hmm. going more. Oh, interesting. And I, yes. And I felt, oh, this is that part of me seeking some type of another vice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that you're getting something from it, maybe uh, just by just by going and you get that feeling that that um, mm -hmm. uh what is it? Oxytocin, not oxytocin, whatever serotonin. it is. Dopamine, yeah. serotonin that's right. released when I'm buying something. Right. Um, so that's really interesting. So do you talk to, you bring on doctors on that podcast. Do you talk to other people or is it primarily doctors who you? Uh, yeah. So therapists, um, you know, who do, do different forms of therapy, you know, mm -hmm. uh, people who are medical researchers, professors of medicine. And uh, so it's all kind of in that world, but you know, it's, it's very, you know, some of them will probably appeal more to some people than others, but mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's interesting. I think people would like it. You go to Doctorpedia on iTunes and, and you'll see it. I, you don't, I have to talk to them about putting my name on the title, but yeah. you don't see my name. It just says the Doctorpedia podcast right now and it has their logo, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a comedian who's, who's pretty much a working class moron, <laughs> you know, talking to uh talking to like the top doctors in the world. So it's kind of uh, something unique in that way, you know? Um, but it started out as the tipping the scales idea and it sort of evolved into From this. There. So Daniel, one of the things I noticed about talking to you is that you are, well, much like the doctors you mentioned too, are these world-class surgeons, but then also surprisingly are really good at tango or have these other interests. You are a person who seems to be good at a lot of different things, or you have a lot of different passions. Not good at them. But I have a lot of different passions. <laughs> so, but you're doing a lot. So, right. what is what is next for you? What's something else that you're working on, or what's something that you want to do in the future that you are not doing yet? Uh, well, I'm working. I'm working on. Well, there's two, two questions. I'll, I'll, the first one, I'm working on something called the Lion's Den, 
Um, it'll be, it was going to be Daniel in the lion's den, but then I was like, Daniel in the lion's den with Daniel. That's a lot of Daniel. So I'm, I'm doing <laughs> the lion's den with Daniel, a little bell where I'm, I'm, uh, going to jump into some unsafe spaces, so to speak, where I'm going to talk to, I want to talk to people in politics, um, and, uh, and have these kind of conversations that I'm having on my Facebook page, driving people nuts. But like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get on the democratic politicians, uh, and, uh, who I feel in many cases betrayed by um, and uh, and get to the core of it. Maybe there's more to the story than I'm seeing. And uh, I want to, um, because I, I am still a liberal at, at, at heart. Uh, although, you know, I've, I'm very open-minded and I listen to conservatives. I, I, I listen to a lot of people um, and libertarians and all, all these people. And I think everybody's got a, a lot of valid points and there's stuff I agree with and stuff I don't agree with everywhere. Um, so I'm not, I'm not an orthodox liberal. I'm not strictly, you know, I'm not strictly, but I am liberal and I do feel that liberalism has been perverted lately and it's been yeah. moving towards totalitarianism. And I, and I kind of want to, I kind of want to talk to these people and see, uh, you know, their take the people in Washington. I've never been into politics, uh, because I didn't want to be, and now politics got into, into comedy. Yes. So I, mm -hmm. I have, you know, I have to push back. Like, all right, comedy and politics, we were separate. We were doing our thing. You started moving into my space. So now watch me come back at you. <laughs> so that's that's my feeling on it. Um, so I'm going to start doing that. Um, and I want to get into the Israel conversation because I'm a big Zionist and I'm Jewish. And I feel that uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about what that means and uh and there's a lot of misinformation, misinformation. That's the other thing that people go, it's misinformation, it's still information. It's not misinformation. It's, it's information coming sometimes from an unqualified source or someone with an agenda. There's no such thing as misinformation. It's just, you know, you can get incorrect information mm -hmm. or, you know, really biased information, but um, it's still information. You, you miss it. You know, <laughs> you just, yeah. So anyway, I don't, I don't like that term, but anyway, there's, I used it, but uh, <laughs> there's misinformation <laughs> going around about Israel. And um, I kind of want to uh, jump into that space a little bit with the, the lion's den, basically, you know, go into a place where a bunch of lions want to tear you apart Fair. and see if you can survive as a Daniel. I like that. I like what you said about talking to democratic politicians. It, because, yeah. because, I know a lot of people, so I, I consider myself part of the walk away movement. I'm a lifetime Democrat who voted for my first Republican in 2018 mm -hmm. uh, here in Texas. I voted for Ted Cruz and I, I'm still a liberal and people challenge me on that all the time, which I don't really, it depends on how you define the word, but on policies, I'm still liberal on most things. Right. And uh, but I also am tempted to, I've seen a lot of people who are part of walk away, who've just, who've walked, who've not just walked away, they've walked to there. It's almost like walk away. There's a large number of walk away people who are walk to, and they mm -hmm. walk to Republicans or they've walked to Trump mm -hmm. and um, become very gung ho about that. Tri it's like leaving one tribe for another tribe. Right. And um, I understand that temptation and I, and I did decide recently that I'm voting for him, but I have a lot of, uh, apprehension, 
I have apprehension just because I am afraid about um, if I don't want to see the the social justice ideology, which I don't consider liberal at all. I'm like you. I think right. it's I think the left has been veering towards totalitarianism. If right. I don't want to see that grow larger, part of me is worried that if he gets reelected, maybe all I'm doing is by voting for him is helping that to grow larger because the reaction to him getting reelected is going to be so hmm. over the top, I think. And, and, and maybe it will push the very belief system I'm against even further along instead of destroying it. Interesting so, conundrum. Yeah. Vote against the belief system, but it might the belief system stronger. But if you don't vote against it, then that also makes it stronger, right? Yeah. Because... yeah. <laughs> so I'm it's in a like, place, yeah, I'm uh, in a place where I'm like, I'm trying to, uh, we just did an interview with Brett Weinstein, who you should totally talk to on your Lion's Den podcast. And it's not, hasn't been released yet, but, you know, he's a true progressive. And in talking with him, he helped me remember that feeling of, of, when I didn't think my old party was beyond redemption mm -hmm. and I'm kind of hearing that from you too. If you, you, it's like talking to Democrats and giving people a chance to pull the party back from. Right. The because well, my feeling is like, I totally understand the, the uh, impulse to walk away. Um, but I think that if, if the people who feel like me all walk away, then all that's left is radicals, so to speak. I don't like that word either. Cause it sounds yeah. too fun. Um, uh, <laughs> right? Who doesn't want to be a radical? Like, I grew up on the Ninja Turtles. Radical is fun. <laughs> radical, man. Um, <laughs> they're not really radicals. They're they're um, control freaks, right? Mm. They're, they're people who are trying to control you. Um, that doesn't sound as fun as, as radical. Um, um, nobody wants an oppressive thumb on them. So call them oppressors. You know, I don't want to be an oppressor. Doesn't that sound like more, yeah. you know, radical? It's all language, right? And that's, that's definitely something we understand on the left is that um, language uh, controls thought. And certainly in comedy, we know that, you know? So, um, so radical is a really cool word for what it is. It's not radical, it's oppressor. It's oppressive. I don't, I want, to be an, I don't want to be an oppressive. I don't want to yeah. be, and if, and, if I, and if I leave, then all that's left is oppressives. Now, I believe um, that the party as it stands now, the Democratic Party, is, is up to no good. They're up to no good. And, uh, and, uh, and I also sort of see a lot of liberalism or liberal ideas popping up on the right, which is, is, is like tempting. And you almost mm -hmm. kind of start wondering, if you're following a good leader and they turn bad, do you, when do you realize it? Or if you're following a bad leader and then they turn good, you know, all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you know, if you're peeling your swastika off one day and you don't know why, you know, <laughs> you could be, <laughs> right? Like, you know, wait a minute, am I being turned good against my will? So, <laughs> so it's certainly very possible for the ideologies to shift based on, you know, you know, enough people walk away like you and, and, and start voting the other way then you wind up having a lot of liberals on the right uh, and that'll spread and then the right becomes liberal. So that's, that's something nobody ever wants to talk about on the left because they like to think it's very strict. And if you, you know, that side is evil and our side is good. And it's never like that. Life is not black and white like that. There's no good or evil side. Um, there's, there's elements of good and evil in both sides. So my feeling is 
you know, confront the evil on your side and try and amplify the good um, rather than give up on it and leave a dying man, you know, like, yeah. you know, like you're beyond redemption, Democratic Party bleed out, you know, so uh, I mean, it's definitely uh, wrong right now what they're doing. Um, but if nobody stays and fights on this side, then it just gets absorbed by the virus. It's very admirable what you're doing and you're yeah. going, of course, you probably know this, but you're going to be questioned a lot. I, I was questioned a lot when I first started this journey or whatever, where people would say, why are you criticizing the left all the time? And I, and I tried mm -hmm. to explain because I'm on the left. Right. That's why I'm criticizing the left. I don't care what the right does. Right. Like, <laughs> right. That, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, I'm invested. This it's like love, you know, you're invested. I've invested. I've put money into this. I've put energy into this. I'm invested in this. There's still love there. You know, if you don't care about someone or, or something, you know, if there's no love and then you walk away, you, you walked away because the love was gone, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm still trying to hold on to the flame, you know, Good. Like, you know, like, I'm like, come on, we had something here, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you better shape up. <laughs> no, I'm like, we can work on this. You can go to rehab, you know, the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. I like what you're doing. So, well, yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, I think it's admirable to want to try and, and hold keep keep something together where sometimes you're just kind of like ah it's it's too late it's not worth it but then when you still have like you ha have that fight in you like, no i want to protect and save the thing that's important to me and and should right. be important to others but. and i don't want to see liberalism go away because i think it's a very good ideology at its core um you know it's been conflated and you know you hear terms like leftist you know yeah yeah again i think that's more oppressor you know I, it's another leftist doesn't really mean anything it's directional you know but mm -hmm. but it's oppressive it's not leftist it's 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 the two things don't really work together like if you go and, and look at liberalism uh you know when it was really kind of like in its uh in its swing you know in the 60s and stuff you know um those guys those old hippies they don't want to be controlling anybody's life they're not into that you know right, like yeah. It was about peace and love and anti-war, you know. One of the things I think is really funny when you hear people on the left, um, you know, and, and, I, and I kind of sometimes I feel like I'm talking about people on the left like I'm not one of them because some, in many ways I feel like I'm not one of them, but I'm also not one of the people on the right. That's also, if I'm being very honest, and I know I'm talking a lot here and going on Please. my little ADD tangents, but if I'm, <laughs> um, if I'm very honest, there's some part of me which is probably the same part that was attracted to comedy that likes being where nobody wants me you know so uh if i went to the right and they had open arms to accept me i wouldn't like that either you know <laughs> i i, <laughs> I kind of like being where no one wants me you know hanging out in a comedy club asking for stage time when nobody knows what i'm about or wants to put me on and i don't have the right credits there's some part of me that likes to to fight that fight um but anyway rewinding a little bit uh, people on the left, uh, me, but not me, people uh, who are of the left or uh, say they're on the left on their business cards, um, like to complain a lot about, well, this will shock you, Trump, but uh, uh, no, they like to complain a lot about the tweets. 
right? Like, right. Uh, and, and I heard somebody say to me the other day, as I hear everybody say things to me, uh, someone said to me, uh, he's always getting in Twitter wars. And that's like, little thing goes off, well, that's better than war wars, right? You know, like if you're fighting by Twitter, uh, that's better to me. Then they go, well, it could lead to wars. But you know what else could lead to wars? Just starting wars, which is certainly something that we're guilty of. So let's be honest, you know, uh, you're worried about things that could lead to wars. What about when you just jump into wars? I mean, he certainly yeah. seemed, there's, there's a lot of redeemable things. That's what I mean when I say, you know, it's not black and white. It's not good and evil. People here like to say that Trump is evil. He's certainly not evil. There's a lot of good things he does, but no one can say that because people have lost nuance and people have gone insane. Yeah. There's a lot of bad things on the right as well. You know, what do you think it is about you? You you said maybe that's that same part of you that makes you a comedian that wants to be where you're not wanted. Uh, What, what is it about you that's made you immune to the woke part, the totalitarian part of the left and i'm you're making me rethink calling it leftism because that's what i've been choosing to call it instead of liberalism but i'm saying i'm rethinking it's too kind of word it's not it doesn't reflect it and liberals are very kind yeah liberalism is at its core it's kindness this is not kindness and and it's and they're taking kind people who are vulnerable who want to do good and uh, again i don't like the the word radicalizing but it's better than radical radicalize it's got that sharp z in it and it doesn't sound as nice as radical but um they're they're perverting them yeah into what they're not they're so making what kind made people you, into hateful people uh I, what I, made me, I think agree. what made you immune to that what about your personality we asked Constantin kissin this question he's a comedian also and mm. It was interesting to hear. I just like, I like asking people that question because I like hearing about what, what is it about your background and, and people who watch our show, a lot of them have friends or family who are starting to speak some of the woke robotic stuff. And, mm. and they're always curious about what, what wakes people up or what makes them immune. I would guess it's because you don't like being on anyone's side and you want to be again, it's that, you, that you, yeah, you don't want to be lumped in with anything. So if this is what that group think is going on, you're going to be like, no, I, I'm not going to go with what you're saying. I would go with that. Yeah. I, I never, it's also what's kept me from being popular in, um, in, in comedy and in, in, in life. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it's certainly not, you know, I, I like being a contrarian. Um, mm-hmm. So anything that sort of starts to creep up that feels too homogenized, I have these little sensors that go off that goes, no, 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 no. This isn't, this doesn't feel right. Everything's starting to feel the same. You know, and 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 so um, I I I I'm attracted to the different. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not attracted to the sameism. Sameism. That's another one. I don't <laughs> think that's a word, but uh, it could be. Uh, I hate sameism. Um, I like differentism. And uh, and then the thing that really set me off is they came after my sacred comedy. Like I just mm-hmm. that upset me. Like I love that freedom. Um to say what you think, like, if you're attracted to different, you should be able to, to use different thought, you know, 
if you're if you're being told you can't think different, you can't speak different, that just infuriates me. So, so that that's what pushed me away from the wokeness. Uh, I certainly was like you know getting sucked in without knowing it for you know for a little while because, like I said, they've they've infected liberals. They've not these people are not liberal. They are in the same way that those people are not comedians. They, they, they come into comedy and they spread, you know, anti-funny ideology about like, you know, the Tiki Torch Synagogue, is that funny? Well, you don't know it's funny. You, you, you claim to know it's funny, but yes, you don't even know you stumbled on something funny because Tiki Torch is a funny thing to say, you know? And, and you think you're gonna outrage me because I'm Jewish and, and equate Nazism and synagogue mm -hmm. shootings right. But what you didn't realize is you stumbled on a very funny word combination. So um, you don't know comedy. And these people don't know liberalism. They don't know it. They know um, a need for control, uh, power. They're power-hungry psychopaths. Um, and once they start censoring comedians, the ones who are comedians, you know, something goes off and they go, wait a minute. Something ain't right here. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then you question things, and once you start questioning things, it's over. You know, you you question things, you start to 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 realize that something is corrupt, something is wrong. And that's what they just in comedy. It's it's they they don't want to hurt people's feelings. So it's, it's that they have it's safe spaces. Like even at Second City, they had sign, not necessarily that those words, but it was just kind of like the. We're, we're an open, you know, hate, hate has no home here kind of thing. Like, but comedy is just sort of inherently offensive. Like, not all of it, but, but that's just kind of where, where it'll find, find a home. And, uh, yeah. and to censor that, it's just kind of like, oh, now I can't. And even in classes that I've taken, they were just kind of like, oh, you can't really talk about this thing here because it's too, too controversial and, and, and not anything political, but just like any sort of like in society, it's something like it's not as fun to see something about um, like, well, why not? Like, what if I make it funny? What if, what if like the jokes that are in here make right. it silly and we're making light of, of the situation now and yeah. Right, you're, you're nailing it on the head. It's the taboo, right? So, so taboos have become taboo, if you think about it. And that's right. also a funny word, taboo. <laughs> but, um, but taboo is supposed to be you know, part of comedy. Comedy is you know, making light of the taboo. Um, but what they've done is they've systematically restricted taboos as things you can't talk about which takes you farther and farther away from comedy. Because what they realized, the oppressors realized, not the liberals, but the oppressors realized that, I mean, liberals know this also, but comedy is a very strong and powerful tool to open people's minds. Um, if you wanna convey an idea to people that's not their idea, you can open their mind by making them laugh. Yes. You make them mm -hmm. laugh and, and then you can, um, you can bring in, you know, outside thought. Well, what happened is they use that to bring in these thoughts. And then they're like, turn the faucet off. Because, yeah. you know, they're like, okay, we got we got the thoughts in their heads that we want. But now we can't risk new thoughts coming in. So right. we have to get rid of all those that made the people open their mind in the first place. And they do that by restricting taboos. 
So like, you know, things like, oh, doing an impression is racist. It's not racist. It's a skill. It's a skill. It's an audio skill. And it's, you know, if you're really good at it, it's a physical skill as well. Um, and that's, and, and it's funny because it, it touches on truth. Um, you know, talking about certain things is, is not, you know, is not allowed. Uh, and, and what they do is they narrow and narrow and narrow the scope of, because if you look at comedy and you break it down, ultimately what we'll be left with is a box of props and the props will be pre-approved because um, that's like the most restrictive thing you could do. It's like, here are the yeah. props and here are the talking points on them. But, but what they've done is they've made it a narrower and, and, and you see, here's something that I was thinking about yesterday in the car because I like, I really like Sebastian Maniscalco. He's such a skilled performer. He's so good at it. You know, he's just so good at it. Like he brings physicality in. he understands the right word combinations. He's, he's funny. He gets it. I'm not and familiar with him. He, what's his name again? Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco. Okay. He's got a, a, a bunch of Netflix specials. He's great. He's Italian and he's, he's really funny. And he's able to survive in this climate because he's not saying anything really controversial. All the jokes he makes that are ethnic are about his ethnicity, being Italian. Um, and Italians are not really part of the conversation right now in terms of like, you know, touchy to talk about. So I'm thinking, man, well, Sebastian Maniscalco can pull it off in today's uh, atmosphere. Like, but then I thought, but he's really playing the game. And that was like the first negative thought I've ever had about him because I really like him. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, he's not challenging it. He's existing within their rules. And something about that really doesn't sit well with me. Like, even though he's mastered how to live within their rules and still be funny, I don't like that he's in their rules. Limiting himself. You know, he's so good. He's so skilled that you could give him a set of, these are the five ways you're allowed to be funny and he will be so funny in those five ways. But he's not throwing matches into the crowd, you know? Like he's not, he's playing by the rules and I can't stand the thought of that. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that the rules are being made by the least funny people on the planet. And the funniest people have to play by the unfunniest people's rules. That feels <laughs> yeah. really wrong to me. Yeah. You know? That's interesting. I'm very curious to check him out now. Cause I, yeah. there, there's something you said about how you made me think about how it's not just in comedy in the, in the belief system itself. When I was indoctrinated in college, one of the things that's appealing about it is it does get you, it does get some people to open their mind in a way they haven't opened it before. Mm -hmm. So when you're first hearing about critical race theory or feminism, or you, there's this, uh, the idea that you haven't walked a, a mile in someone else's shoes. Let me tell you about male privilege and what it's like to be a woman who doesn't have that. Or let me tell you about white privilege and what it's like to be a person of color who doesn't have mm -hmm. that. And I'm going to invite you to now see all of these invisible power structures that you haven't been privy to. Mm -hmm. And it, 
it causes you to open your mind in a way that can be very good. But then, as you said, you, you're helping me put some pieces together, Daniel. Then they, then they have you close it. So you've opened it, mm-hmm. you've accepted the ideology in, and then you are told to close your mind. Yeah, now, lock, now, and yeah. lock and load. So now you're not allowed to, for example, in a conversation with a straight white male, you are not allowed to open your mind to what their experience might be or to take them even to take what they're saying um, and, and weigh it equally. You're, you're told uh, they don't have, they, they have to stay in their lane. They're not, their opinion is not relevant here. They don't get to have an opinion here. Close your mind off to whatever it is they're saying. Right. That's, that's the trick of it because they give you yeah. the they, they dangle the, the open mind in front of you and that's what we want as human beings yeah. we want to be open-minded people don't want to be closed-minded if you tell somebody they're closed-minded it hurts them because we want to be open-minded so they 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 say oh you like open-mindedness well here you go and then and then they, and then they go well you've had your fill you stop it now. <laughs> <laughs> what's that mean you've had too much to think <laughs> Don't be greedy. You've had enough open-mindedness. We gave you what you wanted. Now knock it off. So, so that's actually where uh, one thing I disagree with. Um, I mean, there's a bunch, but there's one thing I disagree with Trump uh, on lately, and I understand the sentiment behind it with this critical race theory, right? So, he's banned critical race theory training in the government, right? That's this. That's what they're doing. He's doing what they're doing. That's the way you look at that? It's censorship. So what he should have done is made it mandatory that somebody come in and train the other side of, the, mm-hmm. of thought as well. Instead of, yeah. and instead of shutting down that, because that actually makes it more alluring, because now it's, not, now it's a forbidden fruit. It's like, oh, I want to know about this critical race thing because like, I'm not allowed to know about it. You should be allowed to know about it. In fact, any company that forces their employees to go through critical race training should also be forced to, to bring in the other side. Um, and there should be, you know, the other, the other side, whatever that is of that, I, I don't even know how to articulate what that is, but there should, they should be um, curated. Otherwise, they'll just bring in a fraud, right? They right. should be curated. It has to be from one of these approved uh, places, same as those people uh, for the critical race theory. I can't go and give a critical race theory lecture, even though I probably have a, a, some understanding of it, but they're not going to bring me in because I'm not the propagandist. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to sell the idea. So they're going to bring in someone from an approved place. There should be approved places on, on the right with whatever the counter ideology is to it. Well, I, I, anyone, say it. Uh, I was just going to say anyone who forces their company members to to one uh, side of it should be forced themselves to to bring in the other side. That's my thinking. That's think, interesting. I, yeah, I think I agree with that that concept in general of just like being able to see both sides. I think my my difference in that is just when it comes to the government. I don't, I think it's just, it's a tax as, as a, as a minarchist, I like, I don't want my tax dollars going to teaching them anything about this though. I I don't want. Well, think about how expensive it'll get to them. The company has to make the decision themselves. 
or or the government agency that it's becoming too costly and not effective. Right. right? And even so doing both like, sides, it's going to cost it, twice as much. <laughs> it's going to cost twice as much and you've neutralized the effect. So at a certain point, you know, if they're still doing it, they're nuts. But to tell them they, they're not allowed to do it, that's oppressive. It's, it's, and like you said too, it's enticing of just kind of like, oh, now I can't do it. Now I want, so I, I, I get, I get the respect of that. About, you know, it's like, if they're going to be forcing people to, to listen to one ideology, they should be forced to make people listen to the other ideology. They should be forced. See how they like being forced. You know, when you restrict, when you restrict something, that makes the, you know, it's supply and demand. The less of it, the more demand. So what he did is a little backwards in my point of view, in terms of if that's what you're going for. And I don't think anyone should be forced to listen to any uh, ideology at their job, personally. I don't think you should have to listen to critical race theory or, again, I don't know what the other side of that would be called, but whatever that would be. I would be. call it individualism, just teaching individualism, because critical yeah. race theory at its core is they're teaching collectivism, which is to look at everybody as what racial group they are um, or what, look at, look at people as a member of a group, mm-hmm. race or sex or sexuality, instead of looking at them as individuals. Um, have somebody like Candace Owens make a, a course a counter course for, for what they're forcing them to teach and then bring that counter course in the next week. Are they going to want to do that? You know, are they going to want to do that? They should have the right to, if they want to waste their money on super expensive intellectual turning businesses into colleges, essentially, if they want to become an educational institution in addition to whatever the hell they do, then they right. should have to offer a variety of courses for any for any private businesses that were going to do that yeah like then i i agree although i think it'd probably be better for them to do the individualist side first and then show them see the critical race theory to see like oh, now you already know like this is dumb either way i think it'll work you know but i think i think that once you're you have somebody who thinks it's okay to force ideology you force ideology on them. That's how you handle it. You don't restrict it. Because, you know, again, if, if you have a good argument, you're going to, you know, if you're right, if the things you're saying are right, that's going to resonate with people. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to open people's minds and you really want to offer people a broader way of thinking, you offer them a, a wider variety of thought. That's the difference between being oppressive and being enlightening. You know, I, I, I'm all for teaching critical race theory if you're also teaching the other thing, you know? But if you're not, but if you wanna all of a sudden say I'm in the teaching business, you know, you, don't, you shouldn't be allowed to uh, control people and oppress them with teaching a bunch of people who signed up to be, I don't know, metal workers, you know, your thought and that's it. That's not right. That's not fair. So, so we like, did I, an we yeah. did an interview with Casey Peterson, and he was the whistleblower at Sandia Labs, which is the nuclear facility, government funded, where employees were being forced to go through these indoctrination seminars, and they even were separating out people by race. So, so they would have re-education groups just for the white male employees, where the white male employees were after the indoctrination were forced to write apology letters to all of the women and people of color at their company for their male whiteness, essentially. And 
I have a problem with, I definitely have a problem with racially and, and sex segregated indoctrination of, with taxpayer money going to that. I don't think white men should be anti-liberal. Group. Yeah, that's not liberal at all to say we're going to discriminate and we're going to, on the basis of race and sex, and we're going to force these employees because of their race and sex to go through this training. Um, but it's when it comes- It's a 2020 version of separating water fountains. Go absolutely. On. Uh-huh. Yeah. But even if they weren't doing that, even if they weren't racially segregating people, it's it, what you're proposing. I'd have to think about it more because I I tend to be for him saying government money shouldn't be used to force this, uh, what I call indoctrination. But mm-hmm. but I I hear what you're saying, and it's interesting. Casey Peterson pushed for that originally before it became a big story. Before he went public, internally at Sandia, he went to upper management. He went to HR, and he put together a course. That would that was basically pointing out a lot of the inconsistencies in in the uh, things they were taught in the CRT trainings, and was offering an alternative point of view. And mm-hmm. they ultimately told him he wouldn't be allowed to present that. To See, the I think that's more valuable. Yeah. I think that's more valuable because again, like once it's restricted, people want to look into it. And if a company wants to spend money, these things aren't cheap, these courses, you know, they're, I think they're like 60,000 bucks a pop oh, or they something. They make a lot of money on it, yeah. So, so if they wanna spend their money and allocate their funds to that because they think it's important uh, and they have to do it uh, to show both sides, which is fair, will they still wanna do it? Will they yeah. wanna spend 120 instead of 60 or if it's 100, 200,000, and effectively neutralize um, things and leave people to make up their own minds because that's what people should be allowed to do, right? Yeah. So if a company for some reason still wants to do that, I don't care. I, why should I care? You know, that's 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 their prerogative. And uh, if it's a government agency, I think most people would, uh, it would fizzle out pretty fast. Um, I, I don't know, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I'm more for that. I'm more for more education than less education or limited education. Um, yeah. I, I think that's what I watch. I watch the stuff from the right. I watch stuff from the left. I like to I like to pick it apart. I don't subscribe to one side being 100% right or wrong. You know, I, I think there's good ideas on on you know you say on both sides now. That's restricted because uh, you know Trump said, <laughs> which was I think him trying to. Be, <laughs> his attempted at diplomacy, I think, yeah. but, um, you know, <laughs> there's good people on both sides has been outlawed, but you bigot. Right? <laughs> um, and by the way, as a Jew and a grandson of a survivor and somebody who lost people in the Holocaust, I think that there are certainly good people who are Nazis um, because I think there are good people that get sucked into every bad ideology. Uh, I wouldn't dismiss somebody. I mean, now, not the ones putting people in ovens, right? They haven't been around for a while, but I don't think they're good. But I think there are good people who have been sucked into Nazism as an ideology, uh, you know, through message boards. I look it up sometimes. I read what they're saying, uh, the anti-Semites. I think that there's potential for good in everybody. And if you haven't, you know, crossed a certain threshold of no return, I, I believe that there... You know, I don't think you should condemn people um, uh, because we all bounce around through ideologies as as has been demonstrated by your show, right? Right. And I think to that point, people seem 
willing to admit that there are good people in social justice ideology. I believe there are a lot of good people in social justice ideology, even though I think social justice ideology is racist Mm -hmm. and immoral, but -hmm. there are good people who get pulled into it. And, and also to your point, I mean, look at Daryl Davis. He's the, the black guy who's pulled 200 white guys out of the Klan just by Mm -hmm. becoming friends with them and changing the way they looked at things. So I definitely think, I believe it's, uh maybe easier than we think for people to get pulled into the service of an evil belief system and mm-hmm. to think that they're doing good while they're there um mm-hmm. uh, but now you're getting into philosophy <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> I, I tend to go that way um but uh yeah i i i, I agree and uh and i and i also think there's a lot of good things about the social justice uh teachings but i think it's become oppressive Mm -hmm. and i think once something becomes oppressive and it becomes dogmatic uh we should be fighting it you know yeah well daniel thank you so much for coming on today i want to make sure we get we're going to get the name of your second podcast the dr pedia podcast right and our links it was your it was my fault i sent you the wrong information it's all been written out already and i just copy pasted it but uh don't worry about it so people can follow you at dannylabelle.com and where else can they find you uh dannylabelle.com or daniellabelle.com either one of those will take you to me um and um i i'm on all this stuff but my um Facebook is locked. If you're not in, you're not in. If you send me a message and you say, hey, I, I heard you on this unsafe space and and I, I want to watch the chaos, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll bring you in. But um, but there's limited spaces available because they cut you off at 5,000. But I keep losing people every day, so that's good. You're um, walking people. Yeah, I'm walking people. So if you want to join the Facebook uh, cult, you can join it. Um, but you're going to have to message me because I, I won't know otherwise. Um, and Twitter, I almost never use it, but I'm on it. But there's no point in Instagram. I abandoned it a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a list of platforms you're not using. <laughs> Here's where I'm not at. I never signed up for TikTok. Uh, <laughs> if you want to follow me on TikTok, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. There's, there's old pictures of me on Instagram you can look at. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to, but you could. Um, <laughs> but basically, you really can't follow me. Um, you can follow my shows. podcasts. That's it. You just go yeah. if you want. You can go to the podcasts. Um, Other know, than the, that, leave you alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do I need? To, what, for what? You know, what do you need? If you like, if you want to listen to the podcast, that's what I can offer you. You know, I don't know. Uh, what else do you need? If I have an announcement, I'll put it out. But uh, you can follow the Twitter. But I, like I said, I barely ever use it. Um, and if you want to join Facebook, send, you can find me at Daniel Lobel. There's a bunch of Danny Lobels that are older accounts that I don't use. <laughs> but you can go to the Daniel Lobel one and send me a message and I'll, I'll be happy to add you in. But um, go to fair enough. That's it. Go to fairenoughcomic.com. That's where you can buy my comic books. The first one is sold out. The second one, there's still a few issues available. And the third one is coming out for Thanksgiving. So nice. In the lion's den, I forgot. It's coming out. It'll be out. Yeah, it'll be out on YouTube in October. The lion's den. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Thank this you. Is Thank you very much for coming out. This has been a funny ending. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's a great show. I appreciate cool. what you're doing. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please keep socially distant from these individuals. I have calculated a 95.1% chance that these are the people history warned us about. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. It is illegal for you to blame everything on Russia, but it is different for the media. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.